Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Today, we are week two of our series entitled Revelation. And I pray that you guys are reading the book of Revelation. Amen. I pray you're reading it. Um, uh, there's about 22 chapters in it. And so you divide that by five weeks, you have uh, at least uh, four chapters, three, three and a half chapters to read each week, and you should be okay. Um, but to, today, today I, want to, um, I want to recap a little bit what we talked about thus far. Um, so for those of you that are here for the first time, we, we're talking about one of the most powerful books in all of the Bible. And this book in particular is a book that was written for the church, for the church. It was written for the church to give the church a sense of awareness, but also to give the church a sense of hope. And we started out last week explaining that the book of Revelations, in order to understand it chronologically, you have to see at the three major points or the three major pillars or columns in the book of Revelation. And once you grasp to understand those three major pillars or columns, you'll be able to understand, number one, where we are in history, number one. Number two, what events will take place throughout the course of this revelation. And number three, what is the end result of the things that are going to happen as a result of revelation. Now, we said that the number one or the number one pillar or one of the three pillars that represents the book of Revelation or that summarizes or explains it better is what we call the rapture of the church. This pillar is important within the revelation of the book of Revelation. Why is that? Because the rapture of the church is what brings about the beginning process and it turns the clock of the things that will happen. So the rapture of the church is fundamental in the book of Revelation. The second pillar or column is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again. This is not, you know, people say when Jesus come, pick us up. Jesus ain't going to come pick us up. We're going to go where Jesus is at. So the church goes up with Jesus. Then Jesus comes in the second coming. He comes with us back on earth. So for those of you that thought that, you know, I want to be a Christian because I want to go to heaven, be in heaven for eternity, we're only going to be in heaven for seven years. Once these seven years is over, oh God, I got ADD. Once these seven years is over, we're coming back to the earth. Why are we coming back to the earth? Because God created earth for humans. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created it for mankind. When God created Adam, Adam was in his perfect state. So God is going to redeem us, which he already has done. He's going to glorify our bodies. And then he's going to bring us back onto the earth so that we can continue where Adam messed up in Genesis chapter 3. So we're not going to go to heaven to stay in heaven. We're not going to go to heaven to live in heaven for eternity. Heaven is only a seven-year pass. And then we're coming back to the earth. 
And there's some things we have to do here. So the first pillar or column is the rapture of the church. The second pillar is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the third pillar is the judgment of the great white throne. The judgment of the great white throne. Now, in between the judgment of the great white throne and the second coming of Christ, there's some things that's going to happen. In between the second coming of Christ and the rapture, there are some things that are going to happen. That's why if you understand the three major things, then you can connect what happens in between. So the rapture, things are going to happen. Second coming, things are going to happen. Judgment of the great white throne, things are going to happen. Then something is going to happen for eternity, and then that's the end. So that's what we talked about last week. The rapture, second coming, judgment of the great white throne. Now, the question is, where are we in history? We said last week, we're right here. We're right here. This is what we call the time or the dispensation of grace. Where God, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, there's a, there's a, 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 a spiritual clock that was put on pause, that was put on hold. And that clock stopped ticking when Jesus went to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down. That clock is still on hold because once the clock starts ticking again, the seven years of judgment starts. We're not living in the time of judgment. We're living in the dispensation of grace, which means that God had put a pause in the clock so that everyone on the planet could come to the reality of the love and the grace and the salvation that God has to offer. Once the rapture happens, that we're caught up to heaven, the clock that has been in pause for over 2,000 years is going to start ticking. There's nothing wrong with the clock. God just put it on a hold. It's going to start ticking again. And then from the ticking of the clock after the rapture, seven years will take place. And some things are going to happen. But while those things are happening... There's two things, there's two series of events that's going to happen. Series of events on earth, series of events in heaven. Now, before we talk about unleashing all these seals we're going to talk about, I want to let you all know the book of Revelation, don't get scared. Don't start biting your nails, don't take a popcorn, chill. When I read this book, there's no fear. There are people that don't like to read I don't like to read the book of Revelation because, oh, my God, it's, it's scary. No, 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 no. Look what the Bible says, Revelation 1, 3. The Bible says, blessed are those who read this book. That word blessed, take out the word blessed out because sometimes we don't understand it. The word blessed means happy. Happy are the people that read this book. How is it that I'm going to be happy when I start reading about judgments and dragons and, and all these fires coming from heaven? How is that going to cause me happiness? Why? Because, one, he's writing to the church. And if he's writing to the church, that means that the church is not going to experience this because we're going to get caught up in the rapture. So, so I could read this and not be afraid because I know that this is not going to happen to me because God's going to take me away to deliver me from this. So that's why he says, blessed, happy are those that read this book, that hear the words of this book. Why? Because the more I hear about the word of the book of Revelation, it's going to create in me a sense of urgency to be faithful in my walk so that I escape from the wrath that's coming to the earth. 
So blessed are those who read it. Blessed are those who hear the words of the book and live by the words of the book, of this book. Now, when he says of this book, he's not referring to the Bible. He's referring to the book of Revelation. Okay? When we read that verse, oh, I, I have to live by the book, and you're thinking about the Bible. John wasn't thinking about the Bible because when John wrote this book, the Bible wasn't done yet. So he's saying, blessed are those who live by the book of Revelation. By the book of Revelation. And he's writing to the church. And he mentions seven churches, which I don't have the time to talk about. Pergamos, Thyatira, Laodicea, Smyrna, Ephesus, right? And, and, and there's two more. I'll mention them later on. Thyatira, the seven churches that, he, he, that this letter is written to. So this is a gospel. This is a letter written to the church. Now, the question is, if the rapture is the first event that's going to happen, so what episodes or what scenarios or what things are going to happen once the rapture is caught up? The question is, why is Jesus taking his church to heaven? Because Jesus is intentional in everything he does. He's not going to take us to heaven so we could be like little, little, little cupids flying all over the place and having to do... God is not taking us to heaven to be in a spiritual bliss. He's taking us to heaven because he has a purpose with us in heaven. I told, I told you that the book of Revelation highlights the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the agenda of Jesus. Jesus has an agenda. So if he's taking us to heaven, it's because he has a plan with and for us. Now, what's going to happen in heaven? Two things are going to happen in heaven. And then there are several things that are going to be happening on earth. Now, while events are happening on earth, there are going to be some events that are going, that's going to happen in heaven. Now, the moment the rapture happens, and the Bible says, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. Can somebody, somebody blink real quick? Blink again. He's coming that quick. So you're driving an I-4 frustrated because there's traffic, and all of a sudden, bang, you're in front of Jesus. You know what in a twinkling of an eye is? That's why we got to live life right. That's why we got to live life in season and out of season. That's why we got to live life a whole, because when he comes, you can't be like, hey, can you come back in 15 minutes after I put on my fake church look? No, no, no. He's coming in a twinkling of an eye. That means you're here, you blink, all of a sudden, you're glorified. That means you're stuck on 417, all of a sudden, you're in front of God's presence. That means, that means you're in the middle of a line in Walmart, and you're upset, and all of a sudden, bam, you're in God's, in a twinkling of an eye. This is going to happen so fast, and you're going to experience glory so real. Oh, God. That's why, that's why I can't waste my time messing in sin, because one blink, I'm in God's presence. I can't mess my time jaking around like I tell my young people because I don't want to miss the blink. In a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up. We're going to be raptured. And when that moment happens, we will be in the very presence of Jesus. And why are we going to go to Jesus? Why are we going to be in Jesus' presence? Now, I don't know how. In the twinkling of an eye, 
we're going to, I don't know how the metamorphosis is going to happen. Because every, every, New, Year's, every New Year resolution, right, I'll, I'll play safe. Five out of ten people. My wife hates when I make my statistics. But let's say five out of ten people have a resolution to lose weight or to get, or to get buff, right? And, 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 and why, why five out of those ten people never get buffed? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Because you have to every day hit the gym. Every day hit. And, and, and you do three pushes, you're already looking for cuts. Dude, what you like, mm, mm, mm. You want to take off your shirt? Take a, take a selfie? <laughs> Dude, it ain't going to happen in three push. You got to give yourself time. But the rapture. I, don't, I, I can't explain. The rapture in a twinkling of an eye, your body is going to be glorified. In a twinkling of an eye, that diabetes in your body is gone. That cholesterol in your body, gone. That asthma, gone. In a twinkling, you're going to have a glorified body. Glorified means like Christ. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, literally, he, went, he walked through a wall. And he showed up to his disciples. It, was, it wasn't a spirit because the Bible says after he rose, he ate bread and fish. So he had a physical body, but he was able to grow. To, he was able to go through walls. He was able to fly. On, when, after the 40th day, he was caught up in heaven. He flew up to the sky. He had a glorified body. And that happened three days after Jesus rose from the dead. You and I, we're going to have that in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> So, so keep on dragging your diabetes selves to church and, and keep on dragging your cholesterol self to church and keep on fighting the good fight of faith because when that trumpet is over, out with the bad and in with the good. Glorified body. And we will be in the presence of Jesus. For what? For what? Why are we going to heaven? Why are we going to see Jesus? Here's why. Number one, because we're going to experience what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Let me read the scripture and then I'll explain it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul the apostle is writing to the church. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you have... First pillar, which is rapture. You have the second pillar, which is second coming. Right? Second coming of JC. Third pillar, come on, help me out. Great judgment. White throne. All right. When we, and we are right here, right? We're in grace. When the church gets caught up, whoosh, we're going to be with Christ. That starts the clock. The clock starts ticking. When the clock starts ticking, it starts ticking for people on earth. 
But because we are in eternity, there's no time in heaven, but we're going to be bound to this chronological order in time on earth. Now, what happens? When we get here, the rapture immediately is going to create a bridge. And the rapture is going to help allow us to cross over the second coming of Jesus Christ without having to go through the seven years, which is three and a half and three and a half. Okay? Three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of war. But peace and war is still three and a half years of the great tribulation. Now, while we're up here, God's going to do something with us until it's time to come down. So we're not going to be having, you know, updating our status on social media. We're, we're, there's some things that's going to happen while we are in heaven. The first thing that's going to happen is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to read it again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Here's why. To give an account. Of our deeds, what was done in the body, whether good or bad. So you thought you was going to go to heaven and they lived happily ever after. Now, here's the deal. When you get to heaven, you're saved. Once I get to heaven, party. I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, living for Jesus, without a doubt in my mind. Right? right. Once I get to, once I get to heaven, I'm saved. And there's nothing the devil can do to unsave me. Once, I, once I'm caught up, I'm caught up. That's a wrap. How many of you guys want to get caught up? Now, now check this out. Why is God going to put us through the judgment seat of Christ? Now, the judgment seat of Christ is completely different to the judgment of the great white throne. They're both judgments. But this is the judgment of the great white throne, and this is the judgment seat of Christ. The question is, who will be judged in the judgment seat of Christ, and who will be judged in the judgment of the great white throne? Everybody that has lived, that live, and will live is going to be before a judgment seat. Either the judgment seat of Christ or the judgment of the great white throne. But you're going to be standing before a judge. And you're going to be standing before a throne. And you're going to be judged at some point in your walk. Now, first thing. The judgment seat of Christ, who will be judging, is Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of the great white throne, who will be judging, is God the Father. And God the Father is going to judge and ask the question. Well, let's look at this. The judgment seat of Christ is only for those that were caught up in the rapture. That's it. The judgment of the great white throne is for those that did not go in the rapture. In this judgment, God's going to ask the entire world that did not get saved, what did he do with my, with my son Jesus? I gave, you, I gave you a savior. I gave you a God. I gave you salvation. What did he do? Oh, but you know, I was working. I didn't believe in Jesus. And God, okay, you deny Because God ain't going to send people to hell without judging them first. Because God is a just God. So he wants, before he sends people to hell, which God don't send people to hell, people send themselves to hell. 
Because God made a way. But before, before, before God puts you where you belong, he's going to prove to those that don't have Christ why that's where you're going. And so God the Father is going to judge that seed. God the Son is going to judge us, not whether or not we're going to heaven because we're already in heaven. He's going to judge us or reward us based on what we've done since we've been saved. Can I get a good amen? All right. The judgment seat of Christ will begin to occur. Why? Why is it going to happen? Why is God going to allow this judgment seat to happen of Christ? Because of where we're going to be when we come back to the earth. Now, while we're up there, we're going to be, God is going to judge our works. What did you do as a Christian in the church? How many people did you win for Jesus as a Christian? All those things will be judged in the judgment seat of Christ. Now let, me, let me read this so you don't think I'm making it up. Not only are we going to be in the judgment seat of Christ, but while we're there, the Bible says we're going to receive special garments. Why? Because we're going to be in the wedding of the Lamb. So while we're getting married to God, through, which is Jesus, he's going to be giving us these rewards as the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, which is the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Where? It, when the church is raptured. Fine linen stands for the, righteousness act, for the righteous acts of God's holy people. In other words, God's going to dress us with white linen based on the things we've done. Verse 9, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now, this wedding is going to last a whole week, which in our case, seven years. So while we're in heaven seven years in this bridge here, while we're in heaven seven years, we're going to be at the wedding of the Lamb. We're going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And so while we're getting married, can, can you imagine a seven-year reception? Can you imagine that? You get married, you have a seven-year reception. To the left, to the left, to the left, to the left, to the right, to the right, and tear them by yourself. And seven years. <laughs> seven years having a party seven years rejoicing in the wedding of the lamb seven years being able to see hey Sydney we made it hey Orlando Jr. we made it hey Daniela we made it it was rough but we made it man it was crazy there were times we wanted to quit but we made it in heaven we're going to be with Peter with Paul with Matthew with John with David all these great men of God and say we made it it's going to be a party it's going to be a celebration it's going to be a day of rejoicing Wedding of the Lamb, seven years. But while we're rejoicing, we're going to be receiving rewards 
Because those rewards is going to position us into positions in the kingdom. Because when Jesus comes back, he's coming to establish his kingdom on earth. So now he needs a king in Kissimmee, Lord, let that be me. He needs a king in Orlando. He needs a queen in Oviedo. He needs a queen in Puerto Rico. And so based, based on the need from the people that were caught up in the rapture, he's going to give us position to rule over the earth. Because God didn't, God didn't got to take us to heaven to keep us in heaven. He's going to bring us back on earth to be where we're supposed to be based on Genesis chapter 2. Now, but in order to do that, the judgment seat of Christ has to take place. And this is, this judgment seat of Christ, listen to me, is a trial of works, not a trial of salvation. It's a trial of works. Your salvation will not be in question. Your salvation will not be at question. Your works will be in question. Check this out. Did they change the music? Was it me? Am I supposed to sing now? <laughs> because the truth is this. The truth is this. That there are Christians that apart from being saved, they have done nothing in the church. They're just saved. I gave my life to Jesus and granted, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works that no man should boast. That's what Paul said in Romans. But on that day, on that day, God's going to celebrate the bride, but then he's going to say, I, 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 now, now that I get everybody saved, now I want to know who did what for me. Who did what for me? Who got involved in the church? Who expanded my name throughout the world? Who obeyed the great commission when I told him, go and preach this gospel? Now I want to know, apart from being saved, who did something for the church? That's why when we encourage you to get involved, it's not because we need you. We don't need you. You need to do this. Because when you go to heaven, God wants to give you rewards and bless you and make you in charge of things when he comes back. But if you're not doing nothing, you're just going to be saved. So you have people in church that do nothing. Then you have those in church that do things in church for the wrong motives. Because you want a title. I want a position. I want to be on pulpit. Listen, if your heart is wrong when you do what you do, your reward was given to you the day you did what you did. If you do things so people can see you once they saw you, that's your reward. If you do things so people can clap on you once they clap, that, that, don't ding it in heaven. You got it right there. So your heart got to be right. Your motives got to be right. And so everything you do on earth, the Bible says in, in Corinthians, that everything you do when we get to heaven is going to go through fire. And some are going to, everything you did is going to go through fire. And some is going to bring out gold. Others is going to bring out silver. And others are going to bring out hay or stray. And stray, I mean, no, 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 hay, right? Yeah. And the hay in the fire will be consumed. The only thing that will last is gold and silver. So you want to do things in the church. You want to get so involved in the church that when it goes through the fire, it's still there. Because based on the gold and the silver, 
will determine what God's going to give you. Now, now, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with just being saved. You know, I, I made it. But why, why, why be in heaven for the rest of eternity empty-handed? That's why, that's why I want to die. I want to die empty. I don't want to die. In, I don't want to go to heaven full of things I never did on earth. Full of messages I could have preached. Full of lives I could have touched. Full of people I could have impacted. You know how many people are going to go to heaven full? I don't want to go to heaven full. I'm going to eat a whole party for seven years. I want to go starving to heaven. So I want to give myself. I want to serve as much as I can. I want to reach the poor as much as I can. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to give my money. I want to give my resources. I want to expand the kingdom so that I go broke to heaven. But then God's going to give me a crown. He's going to give me purpose. He's going to give me favor. And I'm going to come back on earth and reign to the glory of God. Don't go to heaven full. Go empty. Go empty. Empty to heaven. And when you understand Christianity from that perspective, every day you can serve, you serve. When you understand Christianity from that perspective, every time you can give, you give. When you understand Christianity from that perspective, I'm sowing into the kingdom of heaven and I'm getting ready for the, for the wedding of the Lamb. Now, here's what's going to happen. While we're up here in the judgment seat of Christ, getting reward, I'm going to be high-fiving everybody. Yo, you got a crown. Go for it, my brother. This catastrophe is going to happen down here. Because the rapture starts to clock. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen when we go to heaven. Listen to me. In the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to, Jesus Christ, not the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ is going to give us some crowns. And the Bible talks about five crowns he's going to give. I got one head, but I'm going to have five crowns. I don't know how. <laughs> I want all the crowns God has for me. At the judgment seat of Christ, there are five crowns that we will receive. And I'll mention all five so you know which, which they are. The first crown doesn't have to be in order, but I got five, so I'll put crown number one. It's what we call the incorruptible crown. And the incorruptible crown is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, and it says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it we do what compete we do what fight we do what run the race but we do it to get a crown that will last forever in other words an incorruptible crown for those of us listen to me church who run this race patiently for those of us who are Christians and in the middle of our Christian walk, we're patiently waiting and fervently on fire for Jesus. I'm here to tell you, there's a crown waiting for you. But if you're the kind of Christian that you're in on Sunday and you leave on Wednesday and you come back in the summer and you leave in the winter, this crown is for everyone that ran the race patiently. 
that don't go crazy when life's struggles come your way. That you don't get nervous and you don't get crazy and you don't want to backslide because you're first. No, no, you're patiently waiting on the Lord and you're patiently waiting on the Lord. And I know, listen, when he's talking about this race and, and the competition in the book of the Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he's talking about fighting in the arena, animals and Colosseum and lions. He says, you just, just be patient, just be patient, just be patient, just be patient. The lions might bite you, just be patient. The tigers might get, just be patient. But if you understand patience, oh my God, I feel like preaching, but no, suavemente. The incorruptible crown for those who run the race patiently. Second crown is in First Thessalonians. It's called the crown of rejoicing. Second Thessalonians chapter two nineteen. Listen to what it says. It says, "For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming?" Who's going to get this crown? This crown is for those who are soul winners. For those who become instruments in winning others for Jesus. If you ain't win nobody for Jesus, can I get a crown? Ain't nothing for you, Papa. How come he got this kind of crown and I ain't got this crown? How How come I ain't got the crown of rejoicing? Because who did you witness to? Who did you reach out to? It's called the crown of rejoicing because when God uses you to, let me tell you, when God uses you to win somebody to the Lord, there's no greater rejoicing than that. When God, when you, when you start seeing God use you to touch somebody that you know was jacked up and messed up and because you just shared your faith and shared the gospel, they came to Jesus and now they're living right. Their husband is saved. Their wife is saved. The destiny of their marriage is transformed. The curses are turned into, there's no greater joy than that. And God says, for those of you that swim souls and sinners to the cross, I'm going to give you the crown of rejoicing. And that's all going to happen up here crown of rejoicing. The third crown is found in Revelation chapter 2. It's called the crown of life. Listen to me. Revelation 2.10 says this. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. But this crown comes with suffering. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will be and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Yet be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man, again, who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. So the crown of life is for those who do not yield the temptation. That you don't yield temptation. John tells the church in chapter 2, listen, the devil's going to put you in jail. You're going to be locked up for 10 days. And the number 10 is the number for government, for, for system, systematic. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be locked up. There's a system out to get you. And listen, and listen, but be faithful. Be faithful. Don't give up. If you're faithful to the end, I will give you the crown of life. Don't yield to them. You know why? You know why they were putting in prison? You know why they were putting in prison? Because during that time, the Roman Empire was in full throttle. So they would capture Christians and told Christians, Deny, deny Jesus and say, hail Caesar. If you said no, they would kill you. So Christians, not all, but some Christians would 
abandon their faith and say, Hail Caesar to stay alive. John is saying, you're going to be put in prison. They might kill you, but if you're faithful to the end, there's a crown of life. Even if they kill your body, the crown we God's going to give you, can nobody take away, is a crown of life and forever you will live in victory. Obviously, 21st century, ain't nobody killing us. We don't have to say, Hail Caesar. But what things are we yielding to? What things are we worshiping more other than God? What things are we saying, Hail Caesar to, rather than to God? So if you're faithful until death, God says, I will give you a crown of, the crown of life. The next crown, number four, is the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, I'll just read one verse. It says, and when the chief, chief, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, who gets this crown? You got to read the context of 1 Peter. This crown is for those who help the body of Christ grow on earth. The letter of 1 Peter is written to a church in Minor Asia. And on several occasions, the church in Minor Asia had felt like quitting because of the pressure of these neighboring cities, because of the pressure of Greek philosophy, Roman philosophy. I'm talking about the pressure was real. And it came to a point that the church was about to quit and give up on the gospel because the persecution was so much strong. And that's why Paul, the, Paul um, the, um, the apostle Peter, he writes to the church and he says that persevere like, oh, like, like gold goes through the fire and don't give up and stay there because after a while, that fire hitting the gold is going to purify it. And it's in that context that he's writing to the church when the chief shepherd appears he will give you a crown of glory why because instead of leaving the flock instead of leaving the church when things got tight you stood there and you kept on winning people for jesus instead of hanging up the towel you stood there and you made the body of christ grow and you continue to serve and you continue to work and you could have left but you stood for those there's a crown of glory let me ask you a question would you qualify for this crown would you qualify for, for this crown because you've helped the body of Christ grow? Because you've helped your church grow? Are you part of the solution of the church or you're part of the problem of the church? Is your presence in this church an asset to the church? Is your presence in this church growing and advancing the kingdom? Are you making a significant impact in the body of Christ? And let me tell you, I will notice it but it's not about me. God is keeping, every, listen, everything is being recorded in heaven. And in heaven, there's going to be a bunch of crowns that he say, you get glory, you get the light, crown of life, you get the incorruptible crown. I want to go to heaven with all of them and I want all of them. So I'm going to give as much as I can. I'm going to serve as much as I can. I'm going to witness as much as I can. I'm going to give it all because I want everything God has for me, church. Everything. And then last, the fifth crown. And this is happening in the, when we're up in heaven and the last crown is called the crown of righteousness 2 Timothy, Paul writes chapter 4 verse 8 finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing who is going to be a recipient of the crown of righteousness every single person who has kept the faith. So that means by default, when we all go to heaven, we're all going to have this crown. At least we're going to have a crown, right? Whew, I got this one. 
the faith. My friend, church, new birth, let's keep the faith. Let's not backslide. We, we, we can't be seasonal Christians. Let's keep the faith. Let's love God in season and out of season. And, and here's the deal. I don't do what I do because I want crowns. I do what I do because I love what God has done for me on this side of the pillar. I, I, I do what I do because had it not been for grace, had it not been for grace, so I'm not doing this because I want, how many crowns you got? I got four, you got three. Ha, 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 That spirit ain't going to be in heaven. Because here's what happens. When you get to heaven, you're going to see it. When you get to heaven, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 410, that everyone in heaven, the Bible says about 24 elders in heaven. And the Bible says that 24 elders in heaven each have their crown. And the Bible says that, that, that when he saw the 24 elders, the 24 elders prostrated themselves before the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. And they took off their crown and they placed it at the feet of Jesus. And they said, you are worthy of all the honor and of all the glory. In other words, I don't, I'm not serving in the kingdom so that I can be notarized by people. I'm not serving in the kingdom so that I can get crowns. Because at the end of the day, if it wasn't because of his grace, I wouldn't have a crown. So the more God gives me, I place it at his feet and I give God glory as I get what he what I get what we receive at the judgment seat of Christ however will determine where we will live in the millennial kingdom can God trust you with a nation when you were not faithful in winning somebody for Jesus can God trust you with a country with a region on the earth if you never shared your faith if you were not patient so, so what you do before you get caught up will determine where God's going to place you in his second coming. So what's going to happen in that bridge? We're going to be at the wedding of the Lamb. We're going to be in the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat of Christ, which is not to condemn us, it's to reward us. We're going to have the opportunity to embrace these five crowns. We're going to have white linen white garment but while that's happening in heaven look what's happening on earth the bible talks about three judgments that are coming upon the earth the first judgment is going to happen when the rapture happens the clock starts ticking and the bible talks about seven seals seven trumpets and seven bowls or seven cups in Revelation 5 there's a scene in the throne and God the Father is seated on the throne with a scroll in his hands he has a scroll like the one you saw at, when you came in the building right in the environmental there's a scroll there God the Father is going to have a scroll in his hand and that scroll has going to have seven seals on it. Now, a seal is, is, is back in the days, back in the Bible days, when a king would write on a papyrus, papyrus or he would write on a scroll, and he wanted to give a message from, one, from his kingdom to another king, he would write on it, and then he would get wax, candle wax. He would burn the candle wax. And then every king had a ring with the logo or the, or the emblem of the king, 
And what they would do is when they, would write, when they wanted to write a confidential letter or a contractual letter, they would write it and then they would, they would, roll, the, they would roll the letter and when the end, where the end of the scroll was, they would melt wax on it to glue it and then they'll put this, the, the, the ring or the emblem of the ring, they'll stick it in the clay until it dries. They take it out so that the logo of the ring of the king was there. Once that happened, that letter was sealed. And it being sealed meant nobody had the right or the authority to open that seal other than the person who that letter was written to. If a soldier decided to open, break the seal and read the letter, we'll get killed. So God the Father has a roll in his hands, a scroll in his hands, and the scroll has seven seals. Not one, Jesus, he has seven. Seven seals. And this posed the question in heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Guys, you guys okay? Can I keep on? Okay. A question was posed in heaven in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals verse 2 and then I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice he's telling to everybody in heaven who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals God the father had it he couldn't open it and the angel is saying, who, who, is there anybody to open the seals? Now, no, 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 no. In verse 5, look what it says. One of the elders points to Jesus. It says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Heaven was crying. When God had the sealed, the, the scroll sealed up. Heaven was crying. Now the question is, why would heaven be crying? If what comes with the seal is destruction, if what comes with the seal is catastrophe, why are they, it sounds as if they're crying for God to destroy the earth. Because they're crying, they're crying, they're crying. God, nobody's worthy to break the seal. Nobody's worthy to open the letter. Nobody's worthy. No, but he says, but one of the others said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now, why were they crying? Because heaven is waiting for God to bring order back on the earth. The judgment on the planet, the judgment that's going to happen once the church is caught up, the judgment is just a way of cleaning the earth and putting the earth right the way it's supposed to be. So heaven is saying, can somebody break the seal already and destroy this and clean this and fix? Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. How, how many of you guys own a home? How many of you guys own a car? Used car a used car. Okay. I remember when I, when I, when I, when I first bought my, my, my first car, it was a Nissan Stanza. I bought it from a mechanic and it, it smelled like a mechanic shop. You know, every, it smelled like oil and grease and, and antifreeze, and, right? So I, I bought it, I remember, I bought it. And, and, and the first thing I did was, I cleaned it. And I got the little pine fresh thing and I put it in and I, right, right, right? Because when I bought it, 
it wasn't to my liking. Right? It's just like when somebody buys, if you buy a used house, the person that left the house took the frames from the wall and they took the nails out and they left a hole here and a hole there and some people they take the refrigerator why are you taking the refrigerator take the refrigerator take the stove they, they, they take and when you come in and you buy the house it's all ratchet on the inside right so it's but it's my house i got the title of the house is my house so here's what i do right and some people when they move out they leave a whole bunch of junk and a whole bunch of garbage and a whole bunch of mess in the house so now what i gotta do is i'm the title holder i'm gonna come in the house and i'm gonna clean the house i'm gonna throw all the junk out i'm gonna paint the walls again i'm gonna patch the holes and i'm gonna, so when jesus when jesus has the title what he's doing is because of sin the earth is destroyed. The earth is jacked up. There's holes on the earth. There's a mess on the earth. So when Jesus comes back, he's got the title to clean up again the earth. Because when he comes back, it's going to be a better home, a nicer world, a better place to be in. So Jesus is going to get the scroll, which now will give Jesus the authority to bring the earth under his submission, as well as those that are dwelling on the earth. Which then will prepare Jesus for his kingdom in his second coming. So that's why heaven was excited that Jesus is breaking these seals. Because he's going to clean up the house. He's going to restore things. Now, now, when the Bible talks about the seven seals, he's ripping one seal at a time. Clack. And every time he breaks a seal, something happens. Then Jesus breaks the other seal. Clack. Something happens seven let's go over these seven seals and then we close the first seal look what the bible says oh god i feel like preaching but i gotta take it easy because i'm 40 i'm 48 i'm getting old the first seal is found in revelation chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 it says now i saw when the lamb referring to jesus opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! Everybody come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the first seal, a man and a horse showed up on earth when he broke the first seal a white horse showed up with a bow and a man with a bow in his hands and a crown on his head and he came to conquer many people feel that that's jesus it can't be jesus because he's the one breaking the seals so he can't you know he could but he's not up there here at the same time he's breaking the seals after the seven seals the seven trumpets and the seven cups are poured on the earth. Then he's coming in the second coming. But he ain't gonna come. So this guy riding the horse is not Jesus. Looks like Jesus. Matter of fact, in the second coming, when Jesus come again, the Bible says he's gonna have fire coming out of his eye. He's gonna be with a crown of glory. He's gonna be, the Bible says he's gonna be riding a white horse. It looks like Jesus, but it ain't Jesus. So who is this person riding the first seal or the horse, the white horse? Who is this? This person is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Why is the Antichrist the first person to show up? Because the Antichrist does not have power 
as long as the Holy Spirit is still on earth. Right now, because Jesus hasn't taken his church, God is on the earth through the Holy Spirit. When the church goes to heaven, the Holy Spirit goes back up. That's it. His, his job is done. Now that the earth is empty from divine presence, then he shows up. So once the church goes up, the Antichrist comes in and he's going to look like Jesus. He's going to act like Jesus. Now understand it. The, issue, the Jews, they didn't acknowledge Jesus is coming as the coming of Jesus. Don't believe that the one who we worship is the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. That's why Jesus said, I came to my own and my own received me not, but those that receive me, I will make them children of God. Israel is still waiting for the Messiah to come. So for Israel, the Messiah hasn't come yet. Now, when the rapture happens, this guy is going to look like Jesus, he's the Antichrist. He's going to act like him. He's going to perform things. And here's the deal. When, when the Antichrist comes, Israel is going to say, look at all these things he's doing. Oh my God. He must have been the Messiah. He's the one we were waiting for. Because he's going to look like Christ, act like Christ. But, but it ain't the three and a half years. When the three and a half years, of, uh, I'll explain that in a minute. He's going to act like Christ. And he's going to come with an agenda of distortion. Now understand this. Where is this leader coming from? And why is he coming from? I believe he's from Europe somewhere. Why is he coming? He's coming to revive the Roman Empire. His agenda is to bring peace. Because when the rapture happens, you have seven years. I told you this last week. Seven years. Three and a half years of the seven is what we call the tribulation period. And three and a half years, the other three and a half years is what we call the great tribulation period. What differentiates great tribulation from tribulation? That from the rapture of the, of the church, the first three and a half years is what we call the three and a half years of peace. Peace with who? Nations are not going to be fighting against nations. Iran, Pakistan, against Israel, all that, all that. It's going to be peace. Now, the peace does not mean there's not going to be judgment. Judgments will be happening on the earth while there's peace on earth. The Antichrist is going to be the catalyst of this peace. Some kind of way, he's going to cause Israel to be at peace with Pakistan, with Iran, with Iraq, with all of these countries that are trying to destroy Israel right now. When the Antichrist comes, while, while, while the earth is going to be going through a cataclysmic chaos, this guy, the Antichrist, he's going to bring peace. And when Israel sees, wow, he was able to, to restore a relationship with our cities and countries that are trying to kill us, he must be the Messiah. So for three and a half years, he's going to bring peace. But after the three and a half years, he's going to go and he's going to establish, he's going to leave the Roman Empire and he's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And he's going to say, I want everybody now to worship me. And that's when Israel's going to say, wait a minute. No, no, that's not him. And that's when the great tribulation begins and those that don't have g those that don't accept the mark of the beast will be decapitated those that don't accept the mark of the beast will die and this antichrist is going to come with that agenda so when the first seal breaks he's coming and everybody's going to hip hip hooray but give him three and a half years it's going to be crazy the first seal 
Antichrist shows up on the planet. Second seal. We find it in Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. It says, when I opened, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. So the first horse was right, white, second horse was red. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So the first horse represents the Antichrist. The second horse represents war. He who rides this horse will literally remove peace on the earth and will instill and initiate wars. Wars will spawn out throughout the entire earth. And this is corroborated in Matthew 24. The disciples said, Jesus, Rabbi, tell us, what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus says, here's the sign of my coming. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Wars, rumors of wars. And when you start seeing these things happening, is that the, the, the Son of Man is about to come. That's why, church, when you watch television, you see CNN, you watch the news, and you see how nothing and no one can solve the problem in Iraq, and you start seeing all these get wars, don't flick the channel. Understand that this is a prophetic, a prophetic prelude of what's about to happen. I'm here to tell you, Jesus could come at any given moment. That's why we can't play church, and we can't help Scott's church. He can come right now. It's going to be wars on the earth. That's what the second horse is going to unleash. Wars. Well, here's what's going to happen. While this is happening, there's going to be an alignment of nations fighting against Israel. All the nations are going to be fighting against Israel. The Bible talks in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. I got to hurry up. It talks about the king of the north, which is Syria. It talks about the king of the south, which is Egypt. It talks about rumors from the east to take us to Ezekiel 38. When you read in the Bible the word Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog is modern day Russia. When you read Meshech, Tubal, Gomer, and Togama, that's modern day Turkey, where my brother lives at right now. Ezekiel 38, 36. When you read Kush, it's talking about Ethiopia. When you read of Put, it's talking about Libya. All of these countries are going to come together in an effort to, dest to destroy Israel. Listen to me. And they will come against Israel when Israel is at peace. Those three and a half years of peace, once, the, once those three and a half years is over, they're all going to rally up together. And the Bible says, and the kingdoms from the, east will, from the east will come. Who are the kingdoms of the east? Modern day China, North Korea. And they're all going to rally up. And, that, and that's all in preparation for the great battle of the Armageddon. And I can't wait to preach about that. But, but we'll talk about it in two weeks. And, and look what happens. And that's what's going to un unleash wars on the earth. So while we're in heaven having a blast, the world is going through chaos. The third seal says, verse 5 and 6, When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, what this, this black horse represents? It represents famine. Now, bear in mind, the rapture happened. The rapture happened. Imagine all the people that know that Jesus came, they stood behind. 
Imagine they're, they're in desperation. Oh my God, my, my cousin went to heaven. Oh my God. And you start seeing the news. Millions and millions of people have disappeared. And CNN can't explain it. And they're going to say something happened that all of a sudden a pilot was flying a plane and he was a Christian and it cried. All of a sudden passengers in the plane started disappearing. Can you, all that chaos. And then the Antichrist come and there's a war in Israel and all of this has happened. And on top of all that chaos, now there's going to be a hunger on the earth. Hunger. Why? We'll talk about that later. The sun is going to stop shining. The moon is going to turn to blood. What does that mean? Without sun, vegetation doesn't grow. So there's going to be nothing to eat. So on top of everything that's happening, now people are hungry. People are going to be dying, literally killing each other for food. Hunger will take over the world. There will be literally nothing to eat. And when, well, now understand, when the first seal is broken, it's not all that broken that happened next. No. Seal, seal one is broken, that's going to happen seven years. Seal two is broken, that's going to happen seven years. Seal three, so it's, it's one seal after another, and everything is continually, continuously happening at the same time. It's not like all oh, this happened is over tomorrow, and you start new noise. Seven things happening at the same time. I say, friend, you ain't, we ain't got time to be playing church. That's why, friend, today you have to give your life to Jesus. It's going to be hunger. Then the fourth seal comes. Look what it says. It talks about a pale horse. Verse 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the... Can you imagine when this seal was broken, one-fourth of the earth died? Can you imagine? The earth population is going to die due to famine, due to war, due to plagues. And when the seal is broken, death is going to happen. And then it talks about the fifth seal. And then now there's no more horses. The fifth seal represents martyrdom. Revelation chapter 6, 9, 11 says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Why? Now, why is he saying that? Because in every dispensation, God's going to save people. We're right now in the dispensation of the grace. When the church goes up, we're going to end. Well, the world is going to enter into the dispensation of the tribulation. In the dispensation of tribulations, people will get saved. In the dispensation of the tribulation, God has a plan for Israel. That's why when you read the Bible, it talks about 144,000 that God's going to keep. It's 12,000 from every of the 12 tribes. Because in every dispensation, there's going to be salvation. So people are going to be saved in, in the great tribulation. But why do I want to get saved and go through all this hunger and death and craziness when I can just be faithful to God right now and avoid all that junk and make it to heaven and come back and be at peace? I, listen, I, I'm, not, I, you know, I'm not stupid. I, I, I'd rather go right than make it wrong. Because there will be people that will stay. When the rapture happens and will give their lives and cut their heads for Jesus and they're going to come back to Jesus, but they're not going to reign, they're going to be saved. Listen, why go through all this hell when I could today, right now, this very moment, 
give my life and live in peace and live in grace. But look what it says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw, verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge the, our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were completed. Now during this time, the only way that Israel is going to believe and get saved is because God's going to send two messengers. The Bible talks about two messengers. People feel it's Enoch, Moses, or Moses, uh, Enoch, Moses, uh, somebody else. Elijah and Elijah. One of those three, two of those three are going to come back. Why? Because none of them died. They didn't experience death. So they, one of those are going to come back and they're going to preach Jesus Christ. And when Israel starts seeing these two men preaching the gospel, through them there's going to be a revival that 144,000 Jews only will get saved, not to mention Christian people that are going to believe in Christ. And then they will die. So that's what it's called, the martyrdom. When that, when that seal was broken, the fifth seal, there's going to be a martyr. People will die for the cause of Christ, for, for Jesus Christ, because they are aware now this was Jesus all along. But church, church, I don't want to see looking from heaven. Watch you talk about seven years. No, no, no. Escape today. Escape today. Then you have the sixth seal. Look what it says. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Look what happened. And the sun became black. You know how cold it's going to get in this world? You know how freezing it's going to be in the planet? The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Meteorites are falling on the planet. He don't, he don't know what a meteorite is. So he's seeing stuff from heaven falling. Meteorites are going to fall on the earth. And it's going to cause tsunamis. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So, so the rapture happened and you're here and the Antichrist is here and he's trying to deceive everybody and now there's war and now there's hunger and now there's famine and now there's death and now there's all that and now things from heaven are falling. Can you imagine? Look what it says. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up and check this out and every mountain and island hello Puerto Rico hello Cuba every island was moved out of its place translation disappeared all the islands will disappear and the kings of the earth the great men the rich men the commanders the mighty men every slave and every free man hit themselves listen when this are happening your money can't do nothing for you when this starts happening it don't matter where you live what side of the tracks when this happens they hid themselves in caves and in the rocks and in the mountains and said to the mountain, fall on us. In other words, kill us because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You can't be like, oh, Jesus came, I missed. I'm going to jump off a building die. You can't die. The Bible says death is going to run away. God's not going to allow you to escape this process. They say, fall on us and hide from us. And from him who sits on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It's going to be the greatest earthquake ever registered in the history of mankind. And by this time, this seal is fulfilled, one-third of the population will be extinct. Listen to me. And then you have the seventh seal. Look at what happened this time. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half hour. God gave the earth a break so the earth could recuperate. Heaven was quiet, just watching. O-M-G. God is saying, oh my me. Thirty minutes. Heaven watching down, everything happening on the earth. But the church is having a party. He heaven is watching down. People dying in catastrophes and the Antichrist. People for half hour. And then this seventh seal is what unleashes the seven trumpets. Keep reading that verse. After the half hour, a break, the seven sealed opened the seven trumpets. So if we thought that the seven seals were bad, the seven trumpets is worse. The seventh, the seventh seal was giving the world a break. Get ready because it's about to get even worse right now. The seal will be the preparation to a whole nother level of judgment on the earth. This seal is the antecedent to what we call the seven trumpets. So if the people on earth thought they had it bad this far, things are about to get worse. Now there's going to be an ecological disaster which will leash upon the earth. And when you add the death from the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, half of the earth population will be obliterated. So where are we in God's timing right now? We're at the dispensation of the grace. Why am I sharing this message to the church today? Because I want us to realize the blessing that we have of just standing right here in time. Friend, you that are here this morning, don't make a decision for Jesus here you just might not make it Jesus said today is the day of salvation Jesus said behold I am on the door at the door and I knock if anyone opens the door and lets me I will eat with him message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.